In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. How many in this room have ever had been made late by, gotten dirty taking care of, lost your temper at a flat tire? Now, with a flat tire, your vehicle, be it a red Maserati or a rusty Renarec, simply will not do what it was designed to do. Last week, Father Jonathan cited the Archbishop of Canterbury's assessment of the Western Church—that's us—as bored and powerless. Karl Barth, the great theologian of this 20th century, said the same thing in less elegant language. Barth called it flat-tire theology. Correct, well-designed, but not spirit-filled and not going anywhere. Bart's flat tire metaphor really works because in both the biblical languages, Hebrew and Greek, the word spirit can also be translated wind and breath. That tire needs breath. But what about us as persons and as a parish? This is a good day to ask that question because on Pentecost we celebrate the person, presence, and power of the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is a person not an it, not a force, not a power drink. He thinks, speaks, feels, wants to be your friend, your helper, your counselor, and he is God. Christianity has no lesser gods or sort of gods or junior gods. God is God. Whatever you can say about the divinity of God the Father or God the Son, you can say about the Holy Spirit. And let's be clear that the Holy Spirit just didn't suddenly come out of nowhere and appear in first century uh, Jerusalem. At the very beginning of the book of Genesis, indeed the first sentence, it says the Spirit of God moves upon the face of the waters. And at the end of the Bible, at the end of Revelation, the Holy Spirit gets the last word in. The Spirit and the bride say, come. So he's there all along. And on occasion, he shows up in spectacular ways. Two of them are on Pentecost. The Holy Spirit did not come down to the church to establish Pentecost. I used to think that when I was little. I thought it was Pentecost because the Holy Spirit came down. I now understand that he came down on that day because it was Pentecost. Pentecost was already a Jewish festival, a major festival. That's why all those people whose languages came trippingly off the tongue in our reading, that's why they were all in Jerusalem. The tradition was that on the 50th day after the Passover, God descended on Mount Sinai and gave his people the Torah, the covenant that would identify them as his chosen people, a holy nation. Fast forward to Acts 2. Jesus, the Messiah, has accomplished his mission. Through his death and resurrection, he has opened God's kingdom to all people, young and old, male and female, all languages, all nations, all social ranks, are called to be God's holy chosen people. His heart, his feet, his hands, his brain in this world. On the first Pentecost, after the Passover, God gave the law. On the first Pentecost, after the resurrection, he sent the Holy Spirit. On both occasions, 
the power of the Spirit was shown in wind and fire. Think back hundreds of years ago to Exodus when God delivers his people from slavery in Egypt. Moses leads thousands of Israelites with just whatever they can carry, walk out of Egypt thrilled to be free. But after a time, they hear a thundering sound and they hear the chariots and the horses and the shouts and the Egyptian army is after them. And they are facing the Red Sea. What are they going to do? God sets a huge pillar of fire between his people and the Egyptian army. And God raises a great east wind which parts the water of the Red Sea. And the Israelites walk across the seabed. And then God takes the wind away and the waters come crashing in and drown the entire Egyptian army. Wind and fire. Spirit power. Then 50 days into their journey, as I mentioned, God comes down on Mount Sinai in fire. They are terrified. It is smoky. It is thundering. It is fiery. And a mighty wind shakes the entire mountain. Wind and fire, spirit power. Now again, fast forward to our text. 120 disciples, we know that from the previous chapter, are together praying, and you heard it. Suddenly from heaven there came a sound like the rush of a mighty wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting, and divided tongues of fire came, and a tongue rested on each of them. Oh, what if that happens before the end of this service? I'm sorry, you're warm enough already. (coughs) All of them are filled with the Holy Spirit. Wind and fire, spirit power. How can we even imagine the power of the Holy Spirit? We can't. But I have a little suggestion. Let's try. I'm asking you, say to me, what are the first two letters of the word wind? What are the first two letters of the word fire? Now, if you put those together, what do you have? W-I-F-I. Wi-Fi. You got it. Now, when I first saw signs about Wi-Fi in coffee shops and malls and schools and hotels, I had no idea what that meant. So I had to ask somebody, and she explained to me what you already know, because you're all techies and, you know, you're up on this stuff, that Wi-Fi is a technology that allows an electronic device to connect wirelessly to other electronic devices. By the way, a salute to our neighbors at CMU. They had an all-campus Wi-Fi four years before the thing had a name. They called it Wireless Andrew. So, what Wi-Fi does is to enable your computer, laptop, Kindle, iPhone, tablet, what else? Smartphone, you know, all of that, to any other Wi-Fi-enabled device. You can play Angry Birds. Some of you don't know what that is. Ask a child. Um, You can play fantasy football with somebody in India. You can plan a trip. You can connect with your friends all through Wi-Fi. We can't see it, but it connects. And that's my point. 
Of course, Wi-Fi is downright puny compared to God the Holy Spirit, who, as you said in the psalm, holds the universes together, keeps everything going. But it's the best analogy I could think of. The Holy Spirit is our connector. Without the Holy Spirit, we could not believe in Jesus. We could not connect with God. Paul says that without the Holy Spirit, you can't say Jesus is Lord. Without the Holy Spirit, we can't pray. You heard that in Charlie's reading. You wouldn't even think to pray, actually. Uh, How else, except by spirit power, can we know whether to speak or shut up? That's been a problem for me all my life. And I don't always get it right, as some of you know. But Jesus has promised that the Holy Spirit will be our prompter our strengthener, our helper, our guide. How else would we know whether to move or stand still? How else can we capture God's vision for this parish except through the Holy Spirit? How can we have an eye for the downcast, an ear for cries of help, and a heart for the poor? Remember, we are called to be a holy people, God's people, to be like Jesus. I hate to tell you this, but holiness does not come through a ding of the magic wand. It's not going to happen. It comes through the transforming power of the Holy Spirit working within us. So how do we get this power? We get it through baptism. Jesus said to Nicodemus, No one can enter the kingdom of God without being born of water and of the Spirit. If you read further in Acts 2, Peter preaches a sermon to this huge crowd of people, and they're all convincing them that they, Jesus was the Messiah. And they said, what shall we do? And he said, repent and be baptized, and you will receive the Holy Spirit. That's pretty clear. So when we go into the sacrament of baptism later in the service... I'd ask you to listen for the invocation of the Holy Spirit. In the thanksgiving over the water, the Holy Spirit is mentioned six times. And after the baptism, the priest says, By water and the Holy Spirit, you have bestowed on these your servants the forgiveness of sin and raised them to new life. It's done, it's happened. And there's a vital next step. The Holy Spirit isn't quite through yet. After the babies have been baptized, Jonathan will take holy oil and he will mark a cross on the forehead of each baby. And he will say, you are sealed by the Holy Spirit in baptism and marked as Christ's own forever. That is profound. Those kids are sealed by the Holy Spirit and marked as Christ's own forever. And so are you if you've been baptized. The Holy Spirit lives in you. He loves you and wants to give you abundant life. Will you give him a chance? 
But the Holy Spirit is a gentleman. He will not force himself on you. You are free to ignore him. You are free to oppose him. You are free to say, you know, I don't really want to be holy. I like myself the way I am. But why would you? He is the Lord, the giver of life, our connector with everything that is beautiful and life-giving, our pure air in a toxic world. And so we return to the question of the flat tire. Of course you can drive on a flat tire. I've done it. But it throws your steering off, it bends the wheel rim, and eventually it'll tear the tire to shreds. Wouldn't it be better to pump it up? I want to ask us as persons and as a parish, are we at all flat today? Do we need to be pumped up for Jesus, pumped up, filled by the Holy Spirit? You've come to the right place. There's a synergism that happens when the people of God are gathered. Look around you. You're surrounded by baptized people who are indwelt by the Holy Spirit. And in our worship, from the time we begin, we begin praying, at the very beginning, we pray to God to cleanse the thoughts of our hearts by what? Now, inspiration has nothing to do with you going right home this afternoon and writing a novel. It has to do with breathing. In breathe. That's what we pray for at the beginning of every worship service. And then through the music, the reading, the preaching, the prayers, and most importantly in the Eucharist, when we pray for the Holy Spirit to sanctify the bread and wine and to sanctify us, the Holy Spirit is here to connect us to God the Father, to Jesus our Savior King, to grace and to a full and abundant life. And so I ask you this morning, will you, for the first time or the nth time, invite the Spirit to make you your home your heart into a spirit, Wi-Fi, wind and fire hotspot. Amen.